church that we just sang about is bright because the head of the church is Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come to this text in Mark chapter 3, as we look to your call and commissioning of the 12 apostles, as we reflect upon the fact that though their office was unique, yet you do call your disciples, even today, to go forth and declare the good news of the gospel, to be your ambassadors throughout the world. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today, that you would give us a sense of the hope that we have for the future of the church, because the church is your church. Father, I pray that you would bless us and that you would bless the one who preaches, give him faithfulness, bless us as we hear, that you would enable us to trust the Holy Spirit to apply your word to our hearts. We pray for a work of your grace in us today. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3 as we look at verses 13 through 19 as we can continue this series on encountering Jesus. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonagirs, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In Tolkien's uh, trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, the, the hobbits are not superheroes, but rather unlikely and reluctant heroes. They are small, weak, flawed, and frail. Yet the hobbits, as many of you very well know, Frodo, Sam, Mary, and Pippin, are called to engage a quest to destroy the one ring with its power to control the world and corrupt its owner. The 12 men our Lord called and appointed in today's passage were not superheroes. Like Tolkien's depiction of the hobbits, they were frail, weak, and flawed men, even broken men, Yet Jesus appointed these 12 uniquely to be on a quest, a mission, and along with the prophets became the foundation of his church. We'll look at three things. I believe this text speaks very clearly to the fact that Jesus called the 12. He appointed the 12. And though the text is not explicit about this, the inference is he empowered the 12. So let's first look at the fact that the 12 were called by Jesus. Look at verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So God calls 
certain men from the congregation to serve in the ordained offices of the church. This call is not an audible call that a man might hear a voice from heaven, but is that inward call, that inward sense by the work of the Holy Spirit that God is calling that man to, the, to an office in the church. And the importance of this inward sense of call is such that though a man be eminently qualified, according to the scriptures, if he lacks this inward sense of call, he should not serve. God calls men to serve. In today's text, the men that God called the twelve were called to a unique office in a unique matter. They didn't need an inward sense of call because audibly Jesus called them to come to himself. As we've seen throughout Mark thus far, following the, the pattern of, of Jesus ministering as he ministered to the crowd at the sea in the previous text, he withdrew to the mountain. Mark does not specify which mountain. By the definite article, it's likely the mountain, a mountain that would be known by those of the day. Likely it was a mountain that was near Capernaum. But in Luke's account, we're shown something in addition. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12 of Luke. Here we find the significance of this moment that the previous day that Jesus went up to this mountain and he prayed the entire night. And then he called the twelve to come to him. Let me just give us one implication here. Our Lord models for us the importance of prayer in the entire process of raising up men and electing men to serve in church office. That process beginning with your nomination of the men, continuing with that man discerning that inward sense of call, then that man being trained and examined by the session and ultimately elected by you, the congregation. And we're in that process right now as you have nominated men, as men are letting the session know if they're going to accept that nomination. Many have already said, yes, I'll accept the nomination. The session will examine them. And then that will be reported to you. You'll have a month before the election and what should you do during that month? What should you be doing now for the process of men being raised up to serve as officers in this church? What did Jesus do? He prayed. So pray. Not just a month between the sessions telling you who's the candidate and you electing that man, but pray now. And hopefully, if you've nominated a man, that you were praying already. Jesus called from the group of disciples who had been following him, the text says, those whom he desired. He called them not because of anything meritorious in them. He called them because those 12, those specific men are the ones Jesus wanted. 
His choice was sovereign. His choice was based on his will. And we find this reflected in the call to worship this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, where God's sovereign choice of those whom he will save was according to the counsel of his will. It was a sovereign choice and certainly not based on anything meritorious in the one called to be united to Christ in saving faith. And the twelve responded. They, they left everything. They'd already left everything as disciples, and now they left everything again to become the twelve. And the basis of their response, again, was Jesus' sovereign choice. Jesus deciding he wanted those 12 men. They came because he had chosen them. We find this reflected in John 15, 6, where Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I think that applies to the apostles. I think that applies to a sinner that is saved, being called to salvation. I think that applies to a disciple that turns from everything to follow Jesus. I think that applies to pastors who accept the call, ruling elders and deacons who accept Jesus' call. We, we respond not because we chose Jesus, but because he has chosen us. And a passage that shows that this choice is not based on anything meritorious in the one call is, the, is from the passage that Jim read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 7. In verse 7 we read, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you, that is Israel, and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. God chose Israel because he chose to set his love on Israel. It was a sovereign choice. It was not because of anything meritorious in Israel. We'll find in later history of Israel, they had many demerits, by the way, as we do today. So if you've not given thanks for God's choice being sovereign, do so today. Because if he chose according to merit, none of us would be in his kingdom. We need to understand that. God's and Jesus' choice was sovereign. He chose the twelve. He called them to himself. He calls pastors to himself and to office. He calls ruling elders and deacons to the office. He calls us to vocations. He calls us to be disciples. His call is sovereign. He calls us to be saved. His call is sovereign. We should be humble that God calls those with demerits. He doesn't base his call on our merits. He bases it on his sovereign will. Jesus sovereignly called the twelve, and they irresistibly came to him, leaving all behind. And then secondly, uh, the twelve were appointed, or we could say commissioned, by Jesus, and they were appointed for two purposes that we find in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, 
so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Do you see the two purposes there? When my father was a boy, he wanted to learn to swim. My grandmother told him not to get in the water. And I think her concern was these young boys running down to the canal, unsupervised, jumping in water that would probably be over their head and getting in to trouble. But it begs the question, how, how can you learn to swim without getting in the water? Let me ask you this, how can, uh, Derek, how could we have learned to pastor, and we'll include Justin as well, without pastoring? Yes, seminary classes are fantastic, and we've had our share of them. Pastoral ministry classes are helpful, and yes, we need to take them, but the way you learn to pastor is to pastor. The way you learn to elder is to be about eldering or deaconing. The way you learn to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe, hopefully, have a mentor that can help you learn how better to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to jump in the water and swim. And hopefully as... We are learning to be pastors and elders and believers, disciples, that we've got someone alongside of us as a mentor, helping us along the way. Look at what Jesus says. Our Lord appointed or commissioned the 12 for a unique role. I want to call the unique role a big A, that's a capital A, a big A apostle. He called the 12 of them to that. Later, Matthias would be added after Judas. And then Paul was also commissioned in Acts 9. He would be added to that band of brothers. It was a very exclusive number, a very exclusive band of brothers. They, they were commissioned for a unique role in the kingdom of God. And with them, that office ended. But Jesus did not call them immediately and then send them out. What do we read in the text? Notice, he first appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. Our Lord mentored these twelve men, and boy, did they need it. He trained them, he taught them to be his apostles. He equipped the apostles for the mission to which he would send them, and that mission will be fleshed out later in Mark chapter 6. And I want us to see that the very heart of discipleship is what Jesus did right here with the 12. We might go to a passage like Ephesians 4, when we just think about our church, for example. In Ephesians 4, the apostle Paul in verse 11 instructs the shepherds and teachers, let's just say the elders, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building of the body. To come alongside you, the congregation, to equip, to mentor. Calling you to come be with us that we might together learn how to be the church. Learn how to minister to encourage one another. 
The scriptures call older women and older men to come alongside younger women and younger men respectively. To encourage in just how to serve, to encourage in how to be married, how to be a parent, how to be a faithful disciple. Parents are called to come alongside their children by modeling how to be a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. To model how to worship by having your children in worship. To model how to pray by having your children involved in prayer in your home and here at church. By modeling how to be repentant by actually being repentant in a proper sense around your children. I mean, one thing that Renee and I tried to do, not perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, is that if we really wanted our children to learn the dynamics of the gospel, that you, that you sin against your husband or your wife, and then you ask forgiveness, and that forgiveness is granted, and there are many things that would be inappropriate to, to bring your children into that, that circle, but there are many things that would not be, that it's an opportunity to mentor, to say, hey, look, kids, this is what the gospel looks like in actual life. I messed up. And I asked your mother to forgive me. And guess what? She forgave me. What an opportunity to, to flesh out what Jesus did with the twelve. Several families bring their children to prayer meeting on Wednesdays. And if you want to come to a prayer meeting where there is absolute silence, only prayer is going on, then our prayer meeting is not for you. But I think this is one of the most wonderful things that I have experienced in pastoral ministry. How do our kids understand prayer? How will they understand the importance of prayer in the life of the church if they don't jump in the water with their parents in prayer? What Jesus did was to gather the 12 in his schoolhouse for a spiritual education that they might learn how to be his apostles. And this principle, I believe, informs how we go about discipleship here in the church and within our families. Well, why did Jesus, what Jesus did was to gather the 12 to himself, to equip and trained to fulfill the mission to which he would call them. That's the first part of his commissioning. The second part was this. Jesus called the twelve and appointed them to be sent out to preach with authority, to cast out demons, and I, I believe in an inference here, and also to heal. And the understanding of the term apostle is sent ones. And what is important uh, why was it important for Jesus uh, to train these 12 and send them out as, as his heralds? Well, Mark's gospel presents Jesus as the ideal and faithful Israelite 
who came to inaugurate the kingdom of God and in so doing really to form a new Israel. You have a new Exodus and a new Israel being formed. Thus in Mark chapter 1, his, we read about Jesus' mission was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God and to call people to repentance. And the 12 apostles correlate with the 12 tribes of Israel, representing indeed that a new Israel was being formed. In Matthew 10, that is a fuller description of this commissioning of the apostles, a, a fuller summary, if you will. And here Matthew says that the apostles were sent out to the lost sheep of Israel, in verse 6, with the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And the commissioning of the twelve was, was critical to continue gathering and guiding the church militant even after Jesus' ascension. As the new Israel, the church would be composed of elect from the nations as we considered last week in the previous passage. The twelve would become, along with the prophets, the foundation of the church with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, as Paul tells us. And we professed this earlier in our profession of faith from Ephesians chapter 2. The apostles were appointed to learn from Jesus and then be sent out to preach the gospel. Some of those apostles, some of those prophets would write down the life and ministry of our Lord under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. From Jesus, the cornerstone, a solid foundation was set for the future building of the church, the new Israel that he was bringing. Now, the office of apostle ceased with the 12, and we include Paul and Matthias in that number 12. I guess that's new math. They are the foundation of doctrine. They are the foundation of the Christian faith. That, that formation, that foundation is set. But that work of disciples being sent out continues, and we might think of it in a little A sense, not like the capital A or big A apostle sense, that formal, unique office with the men whom Jesus called and appointed as apostles. But yet the church is sent, is to, we're to go forth as the church to be Christ's ambassadors to the world. So we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. And one implication of this is that on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the cornerstone, we are also sent ones, ambassadors sent out, commissioned in Matthew 28 to proclaim the faith as we heard this morning in Sunday school that was uh, once we're all delivered up for the saints as the church militant. The church militant is you and me today. The church here on earth that is marching, that is going forth, that is doing battle, that is growing and maturing and extending to the uttermost part of the world, that we are to go forth as the sent ones to be that vessel of the Lord to gather and to nurture the saints. 
Now listen, we need to get excited about this reality of being the church militant. The church of Jesus Christ is on the move. And don't get caught sitting around, not being in the fight. Jesus appointed the twelve to gather to himself, and then he sent them out to preach and cast out demons. And now we have to ask this, this is the last thing we do today. Well, we'll have the Lord's Supper, but with regards to the sermon, by what power were they to go out? Third, the twelve were empowered by Jesus. If you look at Mark 3, 16 through 19, you'll just... He appointed the twelve, and, and then he names the, the twelve apostles. And this third point is really the, the primary application. And even though the text doesn't explicitly say Jesus empowered them thus and so, I think it is strongly inferred that these men were called and appointed and empowered and will be empowered as we get to chapter 6 to go out as Jesus's emissaries and so the Lord called these men in verses 16 through 19 let me just give you a, just a brief synopsis of the type of men he called superheroes one swayed between trust and doubt and would deny Jesus and then he would become known as the leader of the church after Jesus's ascension one demonstrated ignorance much of the time, simply could not get what, what Jesus was teaching. One was a member of a political rebellious party that was intent on overthrowing, overthrowing the Roman rule. Two had fiery temperaments, but one of the two would be the first apostle that was martyred, and the other one would be the last apostle who died after writing Revelation. One exclaimed, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, that's the Lord's hometown. <laughs> and another was fearful. Another was an agent of Rome. And then one betrayed Jesus. <laughs> that was just a summary of the type of men that Jesus called. In, in the 12, we, we, we find diversity. That's a big, big topic today. Well, this was a diverse band of brothers, no doubt. And it was a mixed band, of, a mixture of good and bad. And by the way, just, just in case you uh, fail to recognize this, uh, we're all mixtures of good and bad, too. They were weak, flawed, broken, and frail men. Yet the twelve were called uniquely to fulfill this office of big A apostle that would cease with them. They were called to carry on the mission on earth after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. The band of brothers would become, along with the prophets, the foundation of the church, the new Israel, the messianic community with the Lord Jesus himself, the chief and only cornerstone. Given who these men were and the gravity of the mission to which they were called, we might ask, how on earth would they be successful? And here, here it is. 
Here's the answer to that question. Jesus did not call these 12 men because they were great men. He called them to demonstrate his greatness, power, and glory. I want to give two implications here. First, the church that Jesus built, and by the way, is building uh, today, founded on the apostles and the prophets. And we're standing on that foundation today as we go forth. That church militant will be one day the church triumphant. That the battle will be over, the march will end, and it will end before the throne. The throne of God. Therefore, we should be remembering that we're part of the only institution on earth that is eternal. Did you know that? Therefore, we should be the most optimistic people in the entire world. Because Jesus did not call 12 men for their greatness. Jesus did not call Tim and Derek and Justin and all of our ruling elders and deacons because of their greatness. Jesus, by the way, didn't call you to be in his kingdom because of your greatness either. What he did was call you and me and all of us and the 12 that his greatness, glory, and power might be manifested. Jesus is the one who's who's driving the church militant to becoming the church triumphant. And that is so encouraging. Jesus said this to Peter, by the way. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But second, Jesus has chosen to work through weak and foolish, the, the weak and foolish things of this world, flawed and broken people whose weaknesses serve as a platform for Jesus' greatness and glory to be displayed. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians Jim and I had signals that if my mic wasn't working, that he was waving his arms. I didn't look at him, but he was flying up there, waving his arms. So, so I'm, he put me back in my place. Let me read this passage of Scripture. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God sh- shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are, are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, that we began with this morning, the, the hobbits depict humanity. 
They were small, and we're small in a very real sense compared to the transcendent God. They were small, weak, flawed, and frail, broken people. Yet in Tolkien's story, the survival of the race of men depended on these little hobbits completing their mission to destroy the one ring. Tolkien pictures for us what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 about God using the weak and foolish things of the world, using 12 men who were broken and flawed to accomplish his will so that his power and glory might be manifested all the more. And he continues to use frail, flawed, weak, and broken disciples like you and me that his greatness, his power, his glory would be on display. None of us have any reason to be prideful over any accomplishments we might achieve for the cause of Christ and his kingdom. The most gifted missionary, probably the most gifted disciple, the most gifted Christian that's ever lived, there's a reason why the WWPD, what would Paul do, is the, is the right thing to think about as gifted as he was after talking about in in second corinthians 12 9 the thorn in the flesh he declares what what was the power behind his ministry what what brought success to his ministry and this is what he said in chapter 12 verse 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The 12 in our text today and the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout history are very much like a canvas on which an artist might paint a beautiful picture. The canvas is necessary, but the canvas fades away as the focus becomes the picture. And what is painted on our canvas through our weaknesses is the greatness, the glory, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sovereignly chooses to use us. And our boast is in our weakness, Paul said. Why would we boast in our weakness? Because as we boast in our weakness, we are boasting in his greatness. That is at work in us. He did not choose us because of our greatness, but to demonstrate his greatness, his power, and his glory. Dear ones, the future of the church is bright because the head of the church is Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us a sense of optimism in the midst of our culture that's where things seem so bleak, but Father, cause us to remember that you're the cornerstone of the church, the apostles are the foundation. 
and that you are at work even in the weaknesses of your people to bring about your greatness, your glory, and your power such that the church militant one day will be, no doubt, the church triumphant. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you take your